Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I'm very excited about today's show. We have a special guest today on the Unimpressed podcast. We have Travis Mills. A lot of you may know who he is, and you'll get to know him in this interview. So welcome, Travis Mills. How are you doing today, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks so much for having me and excited to be able to chat with you and, and all your fan base today. Now, Travis is a retired United States Army staff sergeant, and he's got a pretty big story and he's doing some good. He's got the Travis Mills Foundation, which is a nonprofit. He lives in Maine, has uh, two kids, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're excited to have you. What's going on in Maine and how are you doing with this pandemic? Well, you know, the pandemic's really uh, taking its toll on my speaking um, around the nation. I normally do, but I do it virtually now. So I guess that's kind of cool to only go a mile from my house instead of all out the nation away from my family. You kind of look at everything with a silver lining and like, what's the positive in it? And I got a lot more time, you know, with my kids and my wife at home uh, this past year. But I'm excited for the pandemic to go away uh, in the near future, I'm, I'm hoping. And I don't know, just kind of hanging out. In uh, this wonderful weather, I mean, right now, it's true what you see on Facebook with the memes, like, you know, in Maine, it's 40 degrees out, windows are down. I mean, there's motorcycles out right now. People are just loving this, you know, nice, hot weather. Is it more cold than it is warm up there? No, I don't think so. You know, there's about five five months of, of summer, I guess they technically say, but, you know, the, the, the bumper seasons of spring, like late spring and early fall are very nice. It's not like the Yukon or anything like that. I don't know if you know Catfish Cooley. He's one of our comedians. And we did a show up there, and you talk about motorcycles and trucks. That's all we saw up there. There's a lot of motorcycles and a lot of trucks showed up to the show. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit nervous. I actually am getting rid of my truck in May, and I'm turning it in for a Bronco, the new Bronco coming out. And I'm really fired up about the Bronco, but I'm not sure how people are going to look at me because everybody here drives a truck. And I'm like... You know, I don't, I have a tunnel cover on mine. <laughs> like I can lift anything into my truck anyway. But no, it, you're right. It's a lot of motorcycles, a lot of trucks. I'm fired up for the Bronco just because it's something new and exciting. So tell us a little bit about your story and what you try to do with the Travis Mills Foundation. Yeah, absolutely. So my story begins with two people fell in love, you know, and then they had a kid and they weren't, they were not impressed with my sister. So they decided to have another one and then they had me, you know, that's how it all began was because they didn't want my sister as much as they thought I was going to be the greatest thing ever. And that, that was true. You know, <laughs> basic, basic story, small town kid, played a lot of sports growing up. I went to college to play football and I played a new position I never played before, believe this or not. But in high school, I was like fullback, kicker, punter, linebacker, like, you know, did everything. And in college, I played this position called sideline and I was apparently really good at it. The coach kept me there all season, basically. And what, awesome. what college was that? Uh, I was a small Grand Rapids Community College. We won the junior college championship for the year. So it's kind of like that show on uh, Netflix of like uh, Last Chance You. They always show the Juco one that like wins the whole entire thing. <laughs> that was us. When the season ended, I decided to go back to my hometown for a girlfriend who said she should move home for because she loved me. And then I met her boyfriend that she had at the time as well named Colin. Super awkward moment for me. So I joined the military and I look back at my, my life about what happened with me getting injured 
and losing my arms and legs to the IED. And I realized it's all her fault. I do not forgive her for that. No, I'm kidding. I know I'm getting long-winded, but I joined the military. I did three deployments. I met my wife, you know, and uh, got married, had a kid. And, and then I got injured in Afghanistan on my third trip over in 2012. And then I recovered 19 months at Walter Reed, learned how to feed myself and walk again and drive again. And I got these cool tricks. Like that doesn't even hurt anymore. The first time it fell off, it was very painful. But now I take my arms and legs off every night. My wife and I started a foundation. I think there's a lot to unbox there, though. I can I can keep going or I let you jump in. Nah, this is all about you, man. I like hearing the whole story. You know, I like kind of unveiling the person. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So my first appointment, I went overseas and I was there 15 months. I met a girl online because my medic's little sister thought I was cute. And I hit accept on the friend request on MySpace because I knew it was going to piss him off. <laughs> you know, we started chit-chatting and I never met her. She was 18 in college and I was 20 in Afghanistan. And uh, we went to Cosmo, Mexico for a week as our first date and then back to Michigan. Went back overseas and came back and got married. Uh, you know, got a dog and an apartment and then deployed for a year. Went overseas again, you know, for that year and a lot more firefights, a lot more, you know, grenades and gunfights and throwing bombs and whatnot. And uh, took four showers in one year, but that was by situation, not by choice. Came back, bought a house. My wife and I found out we're going to have a baby. And my daughter was born in September of 11. And I had orders sent me to Fort Hood, Texas, and I didn't want to go. I said, that's not fair to my guys. They come from all across this great nation of ours, and they serve underneath me and believe in me. And it's a real calling and a brotherhood. So I had my orders canceled so I could go overseas. And I happened to go to Afghanistan after getting permission, right? Like telling my leadership, like, hey, look, I don't want to go to Fort Hood. Uh, the big army was like, hey, take this one off. You've been over there enough. So I went overseas in 2012. About a month and a half in, I was on a patrol, and we swept the ground not once but twice. Marked it all clear, so my backpack on the ground, about a 120-pound backpack, and it landed on top of a bomb, and it was one of 13 bombs in a row, and I hit the first one, and it took my right leg off automatically. I got thrown on the left side of my face, and when I rolled over my back and I saw the aftermath of what happened, my left leg was snapped to the bone. Basically, if you can imagine your left, like, outside ankle bone touching your left thigh, that was doing it to me. My left uh, arm was blown out at the wrist. I still had to use my thumb, index, and middle fingers. I hit the ground, rolled over, and as I'm laying on the ground seeing all this happen, my medic runs up to me, my platoon sergeant runs up to me, and I tell him, hey, guys, you're not going to save me. You know, Not that I didn't believe that they were capable of working on me, but in my line of work, I've seen a lot of guys die for what I thought was a lot less injury, so I thought, no way am I going to make it. And the only thing in my head stuck on repeat was saving Private Ryan in the movie. And I kept seeing the scene with the medic when they had, you know, go after that machine gun pit. The medic gets shot in the stomach. And as he realizes he's going to die, he cries out for his mom. He begs not to die. And ultimately, he does, you know, die. And I understand it's a movie, but I thought, no way will my guys ever see that out of me. I'm not that guy. I always showed confidence. I always led from the front. And that just wasn't what gave me the last memory of me begging for my life. So I thought, just stay calm. Matter of fact, they're working on me. And I tell them, hey, don't worry about it. Put tourniquets on me. And I reached up with my left hand and I called my lieutenant and I said, hey, six, this is four. I got guys injured. I need your medic with mine. I hit a bomb. So they came, you know, over with the other medic to take care of, you know, the other two guys injured. And then they worked on me and they got me in a helicopter. And on the helicopter, one of the guys was yelling out in pain and he had a lot of pain. And I was trying to calm him down. And I'm strapped to a spine board and I have this protective goop in my eyes. I'm yelling at the flight medic, hey, take your helmet off. And I'm, hey, and he's not listening. Finally, I get my arm out of the strap and it's dangling pretty bad. And uh -huh. I say, take your helmet off. I actually said some other words, but let's not get in the weeds of that. But I said, take your helmet off. And I 
threw my hand over my head so he could, uh, to motion to him. So he took his helmet off and said, hey, sorry, I yelled at you, but give my guys water and tell them they're going to be okay. And it's quite impressive to them. They actually wrote a letter to my wife and I about, I can't believe that this guy in his state was able to think about his men over himself and, you know, all that stuff. It's a really nice letter. We actually put it in my book that I published uh, called Tough As They Come. And it's the letter they sent to me. But anyways, they got me to the hospital. They took me into emergency surgery. And when I went into surgery, there was nine doctors and seven nurses that actually worked on me for 14 hours. Two nurses, just like the TV shows, took turns pumping air in and out of my lungs for nine of those hours. Mm-hmm. I was given over 400 units of blood, which at the time was the most blood ever given. I think it might still be the record. I don't know. I hope I still hold the record, right? Because bragging rights and no yeah. one got hurt as bad as me, uh, hopefully. Yeah. You know, they gave me so much blood that they ran out of a positive universal blood that day. So they had to like do a mass call to the base to have people run over and get blood out of their veins and put it right into mine. Yeah, pretty rough day. Case of the Mondays. To be able to hold your composure in that state, what did you feel? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I don't think I felt much pain um, that I can recall. And to be honest with you, as it rolled me into the hospital, I was yelling at the nurses and doctor or the nurse. One lady in particular kept pushing me down because I kept sitting up, using my elbow and sitting up. And I said, quit touching me. I'm fine. And she pushed me down. I said, stop touching me. I need to get back to my guys. I got to get my feet back underneath me. And obviously one's duct taped to my thigh and the other one's gone. And they looked at me finally and the nurse said, Sergeant Mills, I don't know how you're still awake right now, but you need to go to sleep. And then they pushed fluids into me. And then I looked at her and I've talked to her since. And I said, my little girl, am I ever going to see her again? My daughter, Chloe, was only six months old at this time. And I'm like, I might not wake up. Like it's getting real, real fast. Mm -hmm. And they knocked me out and I faded. And, you know, before all this happened in my head, I was just like, don't show fear. Don't show weakness. Don't get your heart rate up. It makes your heart rate go up. You're going to have your heart pumping faster and your blood is going to leave your body faster. And it's going to prove nothing except for show that you were scared. You know, I, I don't know why, just from all the war movies that I watch, I just thought, don't show any fear. The last memory that your guys are going to have is not of you crying out and begging for your life. And when I got in the helicopter, I told the guys, hey, thanks so much for working on me, guys, but don't feel bad. Whatever happens, happens. It's not your fault. Now, I appreciate your hard work, but if I do end up dying, it's okay. Like, you did your best, and it wasn't meant to be. So I was worried about them, and I think maybe that helped me keep my mind off myself as well. But I mean, to have that mental capacity, I mean... Sure. What was your mom and dad like? And where did that mental capacity come from? You know, my mom and dad, great, wonderful people. My dad was a truck driver, worked hard his whole life. You know, now he's retired. He's kind of lazy. 
I'm kidding. I love my dad. And my mom started the 18 in a grocery store and worked her way up to be the general manager of it. And the grocery store didn't want to have a big box store take over. So they had a hardware department. They had a sporting goods section. So basically it was like your Walmart, but at a grocery level, she was running the whole show. You know, she didn't have the easiest life growing up, but she always worked real hard. And I guess I had that instilled in me as well as I was always like a team captain, you know, baseball, basketball, football in high school as a captain, not to brag or anything or talk about like the good old days in high school, like Uncle Rico, but I was a varsity baseball player all four years and I was the captain of the baseball team sophomore, junior, and senior year. So I, I guess maybe I had the work ethic and the ability to understand how to be a leader from that. And then the military, you know, I built myself up over the years to be a leader. I was pretty decent at my job, which is kind of weird to say, because like my job was to go and kill the, the Taliban or the enemy. But yeah. what I mean by I was decent at my job, like I was the youngest staff sergeant in the senior ranking staff sergeant. So I had guys that were older in the military longer, but I was their boss. How were you when this happened? Well, so I got hit April 10th. And four days after that, they woke me up from my medical station on April 14th. And that's actually my birthday. So my, I turned 25 the day I woke up the first time. Yeah, I was 25. My wife was 23 and my daughter was six months old. Are you dealing with PTSD now? And is that affecting your life at all? You know, it doesn't. And I don't say that because I'm like embarrassed if I had it or anything like that. I don't deal with post-traumatic stress. And I think the reason is because I had such a tight-knit group at Walter Reed during my 19 months of recovery that I got to talk about everything and go over stuff. And unfortunately, some guys can't you know, cope as well as maybe I did. And the truth yeah. is I learned two life lessons and I usually share, you know, those at the end of my presentations, but this is, a, you know, obviously a podcast for free flowing. And the one life lesson I learned right away, no matter how many times I would close my eyes and I'd hope and I wish and I pray this never happened. And I would say, how do I go back in time or wake up? This is not your reality. Wake up. Every time I open my eyes, there I sat with no arms, no legs. Mm -hmm. So I realized early on in my recovery, and it was early that there's no reason to dwell on it. No, nothing is ever going to change dwelling on it. I went ahead and said, you know what? I might as well be grateful for the time I have with arms and legs. I had 25 years with arms and legs. They were phenomenal. And I've had, you know, going on my ninth year now without this April coming up as my ninth year. It wasn't like all of a sudden a week after my injury, I was like, oh, Let's get after it. You know, obviously it, it was a recalibration. And that's why I call myself a recalibrated warrior instead of like wounded warrior, mm -hmm. because it's a constant recalibration to my new normal. But I just think that I had the ability and the mindset to get me through this situation because one, I made it and a lot of my friends died. Uh, mm -hmm. Two, my wife stayed by my side. And I told my wife, you know, when I woke up for the first time, on the 14th of April, I called my wife. My brother-in-law made me call. The doctors, and I, I'm trying not to dodge your question, I promise, but the doctors, when I woke up, and the nurses and my brother-in-law were in the room, and they kept asking me these questions, like, over and over, and I just ignored them, you know, because I, I don't want to talk to them. And I'm and I have my own questions in my head. I'm like, am I a bad person, right? Does God hate me? Is this a punishment? Yeah. Like, what did I do wrong in life? And uh, to deserve this. And, and like the big question I had was like, how can I be a husband and a father? Because the only thing I see myself now as being is a big burden. And nobody wants to be a big burden because I'm, I'm like a 25-year-old baby now. I need to be yeah. changed. I need to be fed. I need to be dressed. You know, it's, it's embarrassing. It's the worst you can feel, I think, in your whole entire life when you have somebody have to like literally wipe your butt for you. Right. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if your listeners are going to be grossed out. And I don't mean to be, I apologize. No, I, like, I mean, we need to hear everything. I mean, you know, well, I think people need to hear you this. Know, so, so, you know, for three hours, I ignored all of them. And finally my brother-in-law chimed in. He's like, Hey, you got to call your, you know, your wife and your parents. I said, yeah, you got it. You're right. I called my wife and I said, Hey, what's up? I'm fine. Love you. Bye. Like, I didn't even let her talk. 
I, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with it. Like, can you, you know, if you put my yourself on my shoes, I'm 25, I'm six foot three, I'm 250 pounds. I lift weights. I pick anything up and move it where I want to move it. I'm the guy everybody depends on. And I go from that guy to being three foot six, maybe, you know, with my legs and arms gone, 110 pounds lighter. I'm 140 pounds. I'm frail. I need help. Um, it's a really huge, you know, shock. And I don't understand how the heck this happened. Like, how did they get me, you know? So when I talk to my wife, I don't want to have a conversation. I'm not like, hey, how's it going? What's new? I'm just like, hey, what's up? Fine, love you, bye. And that's it. My parents thought the same thing. My mom did, y'all, happy birthday, before I hung up with my parents. Um, You know, and and I didn't want to deal with that. And then I got back to Walter Reed on the 17th of April, and my wife came out to see me as they wheeled me off the truck and they gave her a clipboard and said, Mrs. Mills, his right leg has split open, you know, his, his sutures ripped and we have got two inches off his right leg. Can you imagine being a 23 year old and yeah. having to sign a paper to say, yeah, take two inches off of my husband's leg, go ahead and hack him up. And she had yeah. to, she almost passed out from the pressures. I'm yelling at, you know, not yelling at her, but yelling to her, like, just sign the paper. It's okay. Just sign the paper. And then the next day she comes in on the 18th and I come out of my surgery and I'm talking to her coherently. And I say, look, you don't have to do this. I want you to take Chloe. I want you to go. I want you to have the house, the cars, the money saved up. It's all yours. Financially, I'll take care of you. I'll do whatever you need for you and Chloe, but this is not the life I would choose for you. And this is not what you signed up for. And, you know, for her to sit there and be like, no, that's not how this works. Be personally offended that I would say something so ridiculous to her and mm-hmm. say, we'll get through this together is, is truly, you know, uh, a testament to her character. And, um, you know, and I can't thank her enough because some of the guys, unfortunately, their wives or whatever are like, oh, oh, shit. No, I'm out of here. And, and that's just, you know, the way of the world. So for me, I count my blessings that I have her who stayed by my side. And my daughter, Chloe, and that's the biggest reason I got better. You know, you got to find motivation and stuff. And my motivation was like, well, my wife's here. My daughter's still my daughter. My guys that didn't make it back home don't have the opportunity to get better. Their loved ones, you know, their wives, their spouse, you know, their children, their family, their moms and dads don't get the ability that I have to still see my family. So you got to suck it up and just keep pushing forward. And that's kind of, I know there's probably like, some doctors that would love to like talk to me and like do mental health stuff with me. I don't do that. Um, not that I don't believe in it. I just, I don't like mental health came in and talked to me the one time I was sleeping. I woke up, Kelsey said, Hey, mental health came to talk to you. I said, well, tell them not to come back. I'm not talking yeah. to anybody. And they came back. I yeah. pretend like I was sleeping. The third time they came back, I was up eating a bowl of cereal, makeshift arm. Imagine like plastic splint material, spoon, duct tape, eating, sitting up. I looked over. I might've swore. I dropped my bed and I <laughs> shut my eyes. Then the lady walks up and is like, what are you doing? I gave her my name, rank, and my social. And she's like, huh? And I gave her my name, rank, and my social security number again. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, that's all you tell the enemy when you get captured. I said, so you need to take and leave or you can get up. And I said, I'm not talking to you. She's, and Kelsey's like, you're going to make her cry. And I said, I told you to tell her not to come back. And I said, yeah. in this conversation, as quick as it started, it's over. And I didn't talk to anybody. And then at the hospital, they make you talk with a social worker. And this lady was really sweet. Her name was Christy. And we would get talking about football and she was a Packers fan. I'm a Lions fan and whatnot. And then, you know, she'd ask a question and I say, well, yeah, we're not going down that road. And then she did it about the third time. I said, look, you're wasting your time and mine. This isn't like the movies where I'm just going to break down. And also we're going to have a, a wonderful conversation. I said, there's nothing to find out about me. I'm me. I'm going to be me. I'm fine. 
And I thank you for all that you do for all the veterans out there. I'm telling you right now, it's just going to be a waste of your day. I said, I'm here because the army makes me come, not because I need it. And I don't suggest people go that route. That's how I did it. And after the third session, I'm sitting there basically just have, talking normal about her family, about my kids and her, my kid and my daughter, I mean, my kid and my wife, you know, and then just her asking a question saying, nope, we're not talking about that. It's not for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, she finally like, she's like, this is going nowhere. I said, I know. So they released me from that because mentally I just decided that life goes on. Don't dwell on it. Get better. You know, yeah. five weeks into my injury, I had a hand again. So I could use a hand to dress myself, feed myself, go to the bathroom. Seven weeks and four days into before my two month, you know, mark of being injured, I was up and walking on legs again. Um, and, and people ask me, like, what's, what's a word you think that describes you? Like, what's the best one? And I said, stubborn. Yeah, I think it's my hard headedness or bullness or whatever that's got me to the point, you know, where I've been a success, you know, after the injury um, with the things that I do. I mean, what I, is your, I apologize. What is, what is your internal passion now? You know, um, cause I always talk about perpetuation and negativity in society. Right. And mm-hmm. there's more perpetuation and negativity. And then you look at someone like you and, and what you've been through and, and, and your, your attitude about it. What's your direction? I just want to give back to the foundation, right? My wife and I started the Charles Mills Foundation uh, to give care packages. Now it's grown into this huge operation where we bring out combat and disabled veterans with paralyzation, amputation, spinal injuries due to service and show them how to do things adaptively with their families. We're talking horseback riding, ropes course, uh, you know, like uh, bike riding, kayaking and canoeing. We have a multi-million dollar estate that I was going around talking about not even having a, like anything really together and people just donating because they believed in the passion that my wife and I had. And now we have this phenomenal estate where we bring out eight families per week and we show them how to do things adaptively. And just as much as I'll tell you, like I don't go to the doctor for anything post-traumatic wise. I have a program that's the best in the nation I partner with to give back to service members that are struggling with post-traumatic stress because I know it's real. I know that it needs attention and we partnered with Boulder Crest with the warrior path program. So we can open our doors to more people. So when we started with care packages overseas, we've grown to, you know, this year after COVID hopefully lifts to the end of May, um, 27 weeks of programming. And next year we'll be at probably 40 to 45. And it's, it's all about giving back. Now, granted, I also love business. Um, like business is a game now, you know, I, I, I buy and I sell and I do things that I can. And, um, I just, I really love and thrive on, on the excitement of it. So I own a Marina, my buddy and I bought it and it was a single like mom and pop deal. And mm-hmm. we've grown it quite drastically to where we've expanded our Marina slips from 70 to 180. We've expanded, expanded our, um, you know, office to be a big store in a cafe. And I'm putting a brewery in right now. As weird as that wow. might sound, like I bought another property, put a brewery in, then an event center um, pretty soon. So, I mean, I I guess what drives me is the fact that I'm still around and I can still do things. But, you know, I'm so grateful to have the ability to have the Travis Mills Foundation and give back um, to these veteran families and show them, hey, life goes on. I'm also really big into like kids stuff. Like, I don't think it's ever a kid's fault. If you have, I think some, some people just suck. Like, 
it's never a kid's fault, but sometimes parents are just awful and it's never a kid's fault. So I just want to help out. Like the thing about like food insecurities, if can I, can I be real with you real quick? Yeah. Like, can I just on the level? I go to PetSmart, right. And I buy the dog food and I buy the treats and stuff. And I did it yesterday. And then it always, it's like, you want to donate a dollar, $5, $10, $20 to pets in need. And I'm like, what, how is that a thing? How is that a thing when there's food insecurities for children? Right. I mean, I'm not judging. Maybe you love your animals and you pet your pets and you donate. And that's great. Like I like my, my dogs are great, but no, I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a level of thinking. That's why I'm sitting here listening to you and you're helping these guys in the military, but that's a, a little bit of a niche thing because living in a me, me, me world based on our environment, our society, social media, yeah. I mean, I think your mentality could resonate in so many different levels, whether it's a college football team, whether it's, a, you know, people with anxiety. You know, I talk I try to talk about anxiety all mm-hmm. the time on my shows. And um, because I've, I have a lot, you know, work with a lot of younger people. And I think due to our environment, due to the pressure in society, due to the information in social media, there's all these pressures that are creating these scenarios in people's lives. Your story could be a benefit in many different aspects because I always yeah. say that, you know, when people say me, 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 I've got this issue, I've got this, I got this. You know, if you listen to a guy like you with your positive attitude and your strong mental capabilities, right? That could wake, I think it could wake a lot of people up and say, Hey, uh, my story is not that bad. I let me, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I think there's yeah. more, a lot more there. Um, yeah. I, and, and I've been very fortunate. Like I'm a motivational speaker. I'm on the speak to a lot of fortune 500 companies and they all want me to talk about resilience. And I got a new book I'm working on. Uh, matter of fact, while we're talking, I'm getting the emails. I can see them come across the top of my screen on my phone for my collaborative author and things like that. But you know, everybody hires me for resiliency and, and I don't know how I figured it out or how I go about my day, but I just think if you do good in the world, if you're able to give back, you, that's a whole different feeling. Or Like I can, I can make millions of dollars, right. And be super happy with millions of dollars, but I get a different kind of joy out of giving back. You know, I, I think that there's not enough people that do community service in the world or, or things like that. Like my foundation um, we bring in quite a bit of money, but it all goes back to spending on the veterans. We're very light staffed and skeleton crew. And I've never took an, you know, taken a dime for myself. It's not about me yeah. getting money for myself. It's not, you know, the hours I put in and the, the families and the, the events I go to and stuff like that. No, these are people that donate because they believe in the mission that my wife and I have created and they want to give back to these veteran families. So my wife and I as board, you know, founder and board chair and all that, Never going to take a dollar, never going to reward ourselves monetarily. You know, it's about giving back. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, my speaking is my personal, you know, for-profit company. And I have like the marina and the brewery and whatever. But at the same time, I can't for life me understand how in the day and age we live in that there's food insecurities for children. And I also can't understand how parents don't take it upon themselves to, to do as much as they can for their kids. Like I'll do anything for my kids. And I'm sure like, a lot of parents, obviously, like you, you would too as well. Um, well, kids, I mean, parents today, I mean, I, I lived in New Jersey, and I'll, I'll say it to these parents' face. I mean, you know, I told, I've told i told several mothers in, in North Caldwell, New Jersey, I says, 
why don't you learn how to raise your kids instead of having the community raise them for you? You know, yeah. and I think that is a big thread in today's time that kids are almost passe to a lot of parents. And I don't, I've never believed in that. I've always take, uh, t- took my daughter everywhere from being oh, in yeah. a, a baby seat when I lived in LA, take her into a restaurant. Some people looked at me like I was crazy till in a stroller into wherever. I mean, she always went everywhere with us. So yeah. I feel you on that level. Absolutely. Well, my, yeah. I make my daughter who's nine order her own meal with eye contact, right? With the right proper please and thank you. I go to like this one, you know, variety, say a gas station convenience store. She always likes to get a propelled water before gymnastics. It's a small town. I know everybody. I know the owners. And I say, all right, Chloe, go take my card and go get your, you know, go get your stuff. And, I, and you know, as a beam of pride, she's nine. Nobody can steal her. I'm right there. And uh, she goes, my, my three-year-old son, we were out to lunch yesterday. And uh, my son's name is Dax. My medics were Daniel and Alexander. So I just mashed their names up and came up with Dax Fielder. My middle name is Fielder, but like his name's Dax after the two medics in my life. And yesterday he was like sitting there at lunch with me and my wife and uh, my father-in-law and you know, business partner. And uh, it was his turn to order his cheeseburger that he wanted. And I said, what are you getting? He said, cheeseburger. I said, no, look at her and tell her. He goes, cheeseburger. I said, cheeseburger what? He said, cheeseburger, please. And I think the waitresses sometimes, or waiters, whoever, look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why are you making your kid do that? And I'm like, yeah. no. Everything I'll do, I always exude confidence in my kids. I think telling them the number one, telling them they're champions, telling them they're a winner, telling them that you know you got to try hard, and building them up so they don't feel insecure is a huge thing in today's society. Huge, absolutely. Like, I, I, I can't imagine you know not giving my kids that that confidence and there's difference, right? Cocky and confidence is totally different. Yeah. And I don't want my kids to be cocky or arrogant. And they know that. Um, but I'm saying like making them feel like, yeah, I can do that. You know, instead of them cowering or worrying. And then also, I don't know, there, there's just life things that well, my kids hey, I mean, still. I did something similar. I took my daughter, take my daughter. I, only, I have one, I have a little girl. She's 15. She's not little now, but she's, she's 15 now, freshman in high school, but I, I've taken her to school probably 80% of her life. And that Mm -hmm. was very important to me. If I was home, I would make sure I got up and took her to school. And what I would say to her before she got out of the car, because, you know, some kids and especially in a metro area, like the New York area, whatever, some of them are nasty. There's nasty kids. And I'd, I'd tell her every day, I'd say, have confidence in yourself and don't worry about anybody else. And that's a very, very strong statement. But I don't think parents say that to kids today. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, because yeah. if you if you don't instill that and let them know that there's, you know, a, a better situation than what you're, you know, either your you know, kids talking bad about you or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Have confidence in yourself. It's funny. I have a gentleman named Nick who works for me at my marina. He's the most talented guy. He's 26 years old. He can fix anything. He's a facilities like he's he's in a job where usually you got like a 40 or 50 year old person doing. He's in charge of everything. And I said, Nick, your side hustle. He stores boats. He works on. I said, you probably make 10 to 15 thousand dollars extra a year. I said, you need to go out there and invest in a duplex or a fourplex. And you got to do this because I don't think he's had the guidance. And some people are just born with not that he's like I think some people just don't maximize their potential. 
So I took mm-hmm. him to Dunkin' Donuts, right, to get some breakfast today and, and uh, talking with him. And I said, Nick, you have so much ability that it's ridiculous. And you need to invest in this and you need to do that and this. So you're already doing it here. And you got a solid job here where you know, he makes very good money with us. And I said, you need to. But some people I don't think realize that they can take that leap and, and do something bigger than what they're doing. And I want my kids to always take that leap. I want my kids to always try to do something incredible. And if they fall, they fall. I'll help yeah. them get back up. And and I've my kids will always see me try. You know, my slogan is never give up, never quit. And my daughter gets so mad because she'll say something frustrated and angry. And I, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, ah, I know, Dad. Never give up, never quit. I get it. And I'm like, well, obviously you didn't get it. Because you're just seeing how hard it is, you can't do it, and you can. And, you know, it obviously relates to, like, gymnastics or soccer or something. But um, I'm also showing her how fun school can be because my dad and mom tried so hard with school, and I I just didn't – I didn't give – you know, whatever. School, I don't want it. But, you know, now (laughs) as being older, I'm like, man, numbers are fun. Math is fun. School is fun. And I'm trying to instill that. So – you know, people can learn stuff from whichever way this conversation goes. I mean, I think people yeah. don't know what they don't know, right? And yeah. if you have someone that you look up to and say a person doesn't know that ability or something that's instilled in them that they haven't recognized yet, that person that they look up to is the same as them. You know what I'm saying? It's just... But when you get there, when that kid learns, when he does know what he should know and you get there and you're like that person you looked up to, you realize there's not really any difference. It's just getting there and having a confidence to get there, if that makes sense. You know, and, and, you know, coming from a small town, um, being in the military, I thought I was going to be a 20 year military guy. And that was my that was my journey. 20 years military, getting my degree through the military, you know, become an officer, um, become a high school teacher and football coach. Like that was my path. I never thought for a life me, I'd be like this businessman that I am now and a nonprofit president and you're acting executive director and, and all the stuff I do, but somebody out there unlocked my potential and helped me. And I have like the office I'm sitting in now is a buddy of mine's office that I use and I use him for all my mentorship. I've talked to him three times today <laughs> about yeah. different situations and things I'm facing that I need help and guidance on. And that's what I was trying to do for, for Nick. Nick's phenomenal. He is crafty. He's a genius. He can fix anything. He understands it. He was a plumber for a while. And I understand, you know, I'm like, Nick, you need to do this, not because I want to add to your plate, but because I want to add to the overall benefits of your life. And it feels good to be able to, you know, show somebody their, their potential or, or the abilities that they have in front of them that, you know, that, that I know they can do. And then they realize they can, because I think the society now, and there's a meme on Facebook, but it said, you know, in, in high school, they didn't teach me about taxes or entrepreneurship or starting a business and all these things. Like, and I was like, wow, they really didn't, you know, they didn't, they taught me to go and work for somebody like go get a job, go to high school and go to college. And I'm like, I love my teachers for the most part. You know, I love the, the, the high school aspect of the social stuff, but they didn't really prepare me to be an entrepreneur. And realizing that it's just about taking that risk um, and seeing if you can fly or not is, is a big part of it. So, so again, just to follow up, I, I'm very passionate about my foundation. Uh, I'm also very passionate about children's 
causes like food insecurities and things like that, because I don't understand how a parent could let a child go hungry. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I would work 10 jobs if I had to and not mm-hmm. sleep and 40 hours a week is a joke. No offense to that's all you work. I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm just saying like when you're a business owner, 40 hours a week is, is not a real number, but you strive for excellence and you, you do it because I mean, I'll, I'll be hundred percent with you. I have about 50 people that rely on me for their livelihoods in the summertime, my Marina's full tilt and my foundation and some other businesses or whatever, they all rely on me to pay their bills. So I don't shut it off. And I like, I like, I thrive under pressure, but I want to make sure they're taken care of because they're helping my family as well. Absolutely. Yeah. What kind so of places, I, yeah. what, what, what kind of places do you speak at? I'm like, I'm talking to you. I'm saying, hell, we should put together some kind of, what, yeah, I don't want to ask you what you yeah, charge no, to speak. Like, but the, uh, Wells we, Fargo is a, a client of mine, Microsoft, uh, Mr. Brooks, which is like a lot of insurance companies hire me. Mr. Brooks is like a $50 billion company out of Dallas. Um, they, they actually pretty cool. They flew me to, I'm an international speaker. I'll have, you know, cause they flew me down, uh, Puerto Vallarta or Punta Cana or something. I went to Mexico a couple of times in Jamaica and I'm going to Singapore this year. Um, so I'm international, but, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. There's been fortune 100 companies, fortune 500 companies, uh, the company down the street, it all goes to the travismills.org website and people sign up to have me come in or I do it virtually, you know, at a reduced rate. And, and I'm very fortunate. You know, I wrote a book as well. Um, it's called tough as they come. It's, it's a New York times bestseller. It's done very well. I mean, obviously my goal was to sell a million copies. Uh, we're not there yet, but I was like, if I can get my message out there to everybody and show them how to, you know, live the never give up, never quit mentality and understand that, Hey, life's sometimes a little bit rougher, but if my story can help you by all means use it, that that's great. You know, I, I tell people, they always ask like, what can we do to help? And I'm like, well, you can volunteer at the foundation or you can donate the foundation. But the biggest help that can help me is, Go on SSG Travis Mills on Instagram and SSG Travis Mills on Facebook. Hit like, follow, share, because that helps me get a presence to keep doing my fun videos and keep showing people, hey, life goes on and you don't got to take life too seriously and to, you know, stay motivated, do better. My, my book, the, the most important part of my book to me is actually the author's note, believe it or not, which might sound kind of silly, mm-hmm. but the first thing it tells you is my problems don't outweigh yours. Like, I don't think I'm any worse off. I don't think I'm any worse, you know, um, in my, my situation than anybody else. And people look at me like, that's about the dumbest thing you could have said. You have no arms and legs. And I say, yes, but how many people do you know going through cancer? How many people do you know that went in a car accident? And how many people do you know that are going through a horrible illness or how many people even in financial despair, especially with COVID, we all have our problems. We all have our problems, but if my story can give insight, um, positivity, I mean, I'm a goofball in the best way possible and make you see things differently, then I'm here for you. And I want you to know that. And the next thing I'll tell you is I didn't serve any more than anybody else. I'm not more brave. I'm no more heroic. If you served in the Air Force, Army, Coast Guard, Navy, or Marines, thank you for your service. You took that oath. You defended this country. And what it doesn't say, but it should say, is if you're a Vietnam era veteran, welcome home. You never got that, but you made sure my generation did. And it's huge. It's very huge to me. So every year, uh, March 27th or March 29th, we have a Vietnam era veterans breakfast. The foundation hosts it. It's all about, Hey, thanks for your service. Welcome home. 
and no cost to the Vietnam era veterans. We had about a thousand people two years ago. We had to cancel last year. This year we obviously COVID and cancel again, but we will get back to it. And I just want people to know like how grateful I am because I had Vietnam veterans help me get better at Walter Reed and saying, we want to make sure that the message of you don't got to support the war, but you got to support the troops is out there. And they did a great job because people respect what I've done. And, you know, do you, look, get, to, do you get to talk to a younger group, like a teen group. Do you ever get to talk to many groups like that? Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of more schedule dependent. Um, not say I wouldn't, uh, it's just, I don't, I don't manage my speaking. My father-in-law, who's my business manager, does all those emails and it's, it's more about plugging and playing what works and what doesn't work for, you know, usually non COVID I'm on the road 150 days a year. I, I mean, I have a podcast, the Travis Mills podcast, nowhere near as big as, as you're following and things like that. And I'm not trying to promote to take away from your podcast. I'm just saying like, I talk about stuff like that. Like, you know, the one day I was in the shower looking in the reflection last week or two weeks ago. And I was like, look at me, you know, I'm a little bit overweight. My hair's a little bit lighter than or thinner than it needs to be. My arms are gone. My legs are gone. You know, and it's like about shutting down that negative and turning it to like, you know what? No, you're still here. You got your family, you got your businesses and you are able to give back. How do we get you in front of a thousand kids at a time, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and really wake people up, you know, especially with what's going on in the country. And there's really, there's not a lot of respect and, and, you know, the dilution of what people think society is because they don't have the knowledge or, you know, the foundation behind it, you know, or the, the curriculum, the right curriculum behind it. Yeah. My, uh, you know, my sister works with, um, more troubled youth in the school system that she's at. And she's like the counselor type deal. And you know what she said, the one thing she took away from me, she visited me, you know, we, well, she visited a lot, but she visited me last year, last summer. And she was like, you know what I took away from hanging out with you? And I said, no, I, I, I mean, I don't know how lucky you are to have me for a brother. Cause I'm so awesome. Um, obviously <laughs> I have a younger brother too. Uh, I, I should yeah. mention I have a little brother named Zach. He's my, you know, real close friend. We talk almost every day. Yeah. And my sister said, you are always complimenting the girls, like my daughter and her two daughters and my son. And, you know, he's, she's like, you're always telling the kids how great they are, how awesome they are, how much they're winners and champions. And she said, they, all they do is smile and they believe in themselves. And she said, I, I'm taking that. And then fast forward from two years ago or whatever to now, she has these kids that are trouble. And she said, you know what? You are a winner and you can do things. She said, the world's a difference. Just telling these kids and having them believe in themselves. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you got something from me because, uh, you know, I, I just do it because I realize how hard the world kind of is sometimes. And yeah. it's not fair to, uh, you know, it's not fair to the kids if they don't get instilled confidence and told that you can be something, you can yeah. do something great. And I, I believe in you. So I don't know. I mean, I got that as a kid growing up, I think. So that's why I pass it forward. And then the last life lesson, if I could just real quick, I tell people you can't always control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. And I mean that, um, you know, I, my situation doesn't change. I have no arms and legs and all there is to it. But when I wake up in the morning, I jump in my wheelchair, throw my arm on off the charger. I go down, I make coffee. My wife, and my son and my daughter eventually, my daughter is usually the first one up with me. We hang out and watch swamp people or something. We love that. But my son and my wife come down and we go about our day. Because my situation doesn't dictate my attitude. My attitude is always going to be upbeat, positive, 
and I'm going to make sure I get whatever I can done because that's how it works. And um, I think if people just can realize that they, they can live a little bit more positively. And um, like I said, you know, if anyone wants to check out travismills.org or check the book or the documentary out, I'll, by all means, please do. Well, that's a great thing, man. Well, I think you exude confidence. Um, I mean, I, I feel good talking to you. I feel like I'm, I'm going to go out here and run 25 miles. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I feel, I feel great just talking to you, man. I mean, more people need to hear you and hear your story because like I said, this is what we need right now. We need this confidence. You exude confidence, you know, and, and people who think they have issues, their issues may not be that bad. I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been Sergeant Travis Mills. I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.